children are dismissed. If you are from uh, kindergarten on up to about fourth or fifth grade, if you want to be dismissed at this time, uh, learn on their own level. The rest of us are going to Exodus chapter 33. What a wonderful, appropriate song for him to sing just before this message. And yet, uh, I'd love to see how the Lord puts that together. We don't uh, we don't compare notes before, and yet sometimes God just fits those things together. A church had a special concert, and uh, the worship center was packed. The congregation had a phenomenal time, and uh, later that uh, the music was was loud and and uh, lively, and their spirits were festive. Later that evening, a young mother was putting her boy to bed, and he was just still bubbling over about the great time he had at church, and he just t- couldn't stop talking about it, and and uh, so they had their prayer before bed, and then she's about to turn off the lights, and, and he says, just before she leaves, he, he says, Mom, I just, I just had such a great time at church tonight. I so wish that Jesus could have been there. And I wonder how many times we go through our daily life absent the presence of God. I wonder how many times we go through church services absent the presence of God. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Exodus chapter 33, we're going to start in verse number 11. A great scene in Scripture here today that I hope we'll be able to unpack and show you some things that will be a blessing to you as well as it was to me. And the Lord spake, verse 11, unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the people, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people that thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, this is God again, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Verse 15, and he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carest not up hence, for wherein it shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy power, or thy glory, I'm sorry. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and will proclaim thy name of the Lord before thee, and shall be, will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. The Lord said, Behold, there is a rock placed by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Growing, what we're talking about. In this series, we're talking about growth and growing as a Christian. And today I want to talk about growing in God's presence. Father, I pray that you'd help us be with just this next hour, 45 minutes or so, that you would help us to learn from your word uh, something that will help us leave better than we came. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Israelites were slaves in the land of Egypt for about the time frame of about 400 years. As time went on, they multiplied by great numbers, as you can imagine. So Pharaoh... Uh, got a little worried. What if they get got so powerful they would overtake his kingdom, the ones who were enslaving them? And so Pharaoh came up with a decree, and he said that if a girl was born to the Israelites, she would be fine. If a boy was born, he would be born with a death sentence. He would have to be killed. He was doing a kind of population control, not letting them 
uh, gain any power. And so in the middle of all this, a man named Amram and a woman named Jochebed found out that they were expecting a child. You can imagine uh, it was their third child, so, but you can imagine that uh, the excitement of any uh, home that's expecting another one, but yet this one had kind of a dark cloud of gloom over it because if it was born a girl, everything would be fine. If it was born and it was a boy, he would have to be killed according to the law at that time. And uh, they did have a child, and to their great vexation, he was a boy. This was before the days that you waited until the child was old enough to decide its own gender. Now, ABC News tells us that there are 58 genders. That is nonsense and insanity. A boy is a boy and a girl is a girl. Those are the only two options. I do have to admit that there was a stage in my life where I was a male trapped in a female body. It's true. I don't talk about it much. Of course, then I was born and I wasn't trapped anymore. Aha, see, I had some of you just a little bit worried, didn't I? Just a little bit worried. If, uh, but they had a boy, and they named that boy Moses. Now, Moses, they, they hid him from the authorities uh, so that he would not be killed because sometimes governments overreach. Imagine that uh, happening. And so through a series of events, uh, and I'm not going to go through that story. That's not the point. Hopefully you know it. If you don't read it, it's exciting. Through a series of events, Moses... Uh, she puts him in a, an ark and puts him down the river. Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And Moses is adopted by Pharaoh's daughter in, in the palace. So now, this is what's amazing. Moses' mother, if you remember this story, Miriam's there and runs up and asks, shall I get him a nurse? And now Pharaoh's daughter hires Moses' mother to raise him. What was going to be un, Ill, illegal for her just to keep him alive, now she's getting paid to be his mom. Only God can do that kind of thing. Isn't that a wonderful thing? How the Lord works those things out. Moses grew up now essentially in royalty. There is perhaps no greater servant in the, God, in the Bible, a servant of God in the Bible, than the man Moses. He accumulated an enormous amount of relationship equity with God. There are many back and forth conversations between God and Moses that are really quite fascinating if you uh, see them. In fact, I'll show you one. Go back in a chapter, just to chapter 32. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to uh, tell you, all throughout the Old Testament, <coughs> God called Israel, my people. He said, if you remember, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. In fact, he had said when they were in, uh, still slaves in Egypt, uh, he had said that uh, in Exodus 3, 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. So now here in Exodus chapter 32, they have just made a golden calf while Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. They have made a golden calf, and now they are worshiping the calf that they made. Imagine that, making your own idol and worshiping it as a god. That's what they were doing. Listen to what God says in verse number 7 of, I mean, yeah, verse number 7 of Exodus 32. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, thy people. That's hilarious. I mean, look at it. Thy people. Uh, a father came home from work, and uh, it was just before supper, and he was met by his five-year-old daughter standing outside the house on the sidewalk. And she had her little hands on her hips, and she was not happy. It was very plain to see. And so he asked her, is something wrong, honey? And this girl said, yes. All day long I've been having trouble with your wife. Now, we do this, don't we? If a teacher brags on our child as being the best child in class, that's my son. 
If that same child is banging on his drum set for five hours, you say to your husband or your, or your mate, your son is driving me crazy. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. God says, your people, they've messed up. Now, it doesn't stop there. If you look at verse 11 of chapter 32, and Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against who? Thy people. They're not my people. They're your people. No, no, no. They're not my people. They're your people. There's a time we don't really want to claim. And here's a time that was like that. I just, I think it's hilarious because we're talking here about a tremendous relationship that God and Moses had. It all started in Exodus chapter 3, a bush burning encounter with God. At this time, he was a fugitive because he had killed, a, a murdered an Egyptian man uh, who he had seen attacking one of his people. And that was really an outpouring of the tremendous battle that was going on inside Moses. <clears throat> he was being raised as an Egyptian, and yet he knew in his heart that that was not who he was. He was a, a, an Israelite. And so now he had done that crime. He was on the run. In fact, if you take the life of Moses, there's three equal segments to Moses' life. I think it's kind of interesting. He lived to be 120 years old, and 120 divided by three is 40. Am I right? Us homeschool, it takes a little bit. You know, when I was being homeschooled, my mom, we thought she was going crazy because she would talk to herself all the time and uh, quite vehemently talk to herself sometimes. She called it a parent-teacher conference. Um, Moses spent 40 years of his life being raised in the palace, learning to be somebody. And then he had that incident where he killed somebody and he fled for his life and he lived on the backside of a desert for another 40 years, learning to be nobody. And then God calls him to lead his people out of Egypt, and he learns then what God can do with a nobody. Oh, listen to me, friend, here today. Don't ever think uh, because you are a nobody or you don't have any talent or you don't have any abilities, God can use you. In fact, that's who he always uses, is people that are unlikely. When he needed a giant, he didn't cho choose uh, the tallest guy. He chose David, a boy, and got the job done. So he, he's at the burning bush. God put his calling on Moses. He says, I want you to go back to the scene of the crime. I want you to go back to where you messed up. But you're not going back this time as a fugitive. You're going back as my leader. Again, only God can do this. Only God can send us back to the scene of our failure and turn it into a moment of victory. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God can do that. He can make it a breakthrough to you in your life to victory. And so Moses goes back. And again, we're just, I'm not going through all that story either. You know the plagues that came, a series of events. About three million people left Egypt. Three million people. Just under, they suspect, three million people. They get to the Red Sea. You know the story. They're between destruction and the deep blue sea. They got the, the uh, army behind them. They have the sea in front of them. The mountains beside them. There's no place to go. And so God tells Moses to raise his rod and, and the sea, Red Sea splits and they Walk across on dry ground. What a miracle. Now, we often get the picture of kind of, you know, people walking through and they're able to touch the water on both sides. Really, it had to be a three-mile-wide uh, uh, split there because 5,000 people abreast had to walk through to make it through in one night. And they go through the wilderness, and God provides for them supernaturally. Can you imagine how you might feed three million people in a desert? Somebody has actually went along and figured this out. They would need 2,000 tons of food each day. That is three freight trains a mile long each that they would need. 
They needed 11 million gallons of water every day. We're not the first ones to face supply problems. Amen. Each day they needed a campground two-thirds the size of Rhode Island when they stopped. But God takes care of them, and he did so miraculously. He leaves manna on the ground every day. When they get up in the morning and get out of their tents, they see that their breakfast is all laid out for them and their food for the day as manna has fallen from heaven. It's the first time in the Bible you see any mention of Krispy Kremes. Uh, he gives them water out of a rock, feeds them. And uh, I say all this to say that this is a man, Moses, who experienced the power of God over and over and over again. It was demonstrated to Moses that God was with him. In Exodus 13.21, he says that he was there in the pillar of cloud and in the pillar of fire. He went so far, in fact, if you go back to verse uh, chapter 33 where we're at here, it went so far that we see in verse 9 that a cloudy pillar entered the tabernacle when Moses went there to pray. Can you imagine going into your prayer closet, closing the door and bowing your head to play, pray, and oof, there's a cloud in there with you, and it speaks to you face to face, and it's God himself. What an amazing thing that would be. And that's how Moses was. It says in verse 10 that people would stand outside and see this interaction. God literally spoke with Moses face to face as a friend. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, and there was, arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Uh, it says, this, by the way, is an anthropomorphic term. It uh, uses human characteristics to describe what we may not really comprehend. And understand this, Moses was unique in this. The other, there weren't, every other prophet wasn't like this. Moses was unique. In fact, God himself said this in Numbers 12, 6 through 8, when he says, and he said, now hear my words, if there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak to him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all my house, whom I will speak with mouth to mouth, and not in dark speeches. So he said, if there's a prophet, I'll talk to him in dreams and visions, but not Moses. Moses is special. I'm going to talk to him face to face. This is not true of all the prophets. Have you read Ezekiel lately? Hey, Ezekiel, what did you see? Well, there was a wheel in the middle of a whirlwind. There were some creatures there. Each had four faces and four wings each. They were all connected. And under these wings were the hands of a man and their feet were calf's feet. Read Ezekiel chapter 1. That's what his vision was. Uh, that, thank you, Ezekiel. Maybe I'll go back to reading Proverbs now. Uh, this was a confusing vision. I'm not saying that's not worth something, that they had meanings. But when God spoke to others, it's visions and dreams. But with Moses, it's face to face. When Moses, when he came to Moses, he said, Moses, your people, I'm going to kill them. No, God, you can't kill your people. They're not my people, they're your people. No, they're not my people, they're your people. This is a back and forth that Moses and God had. Just think of the privileges Moses had. That's why Exodus 33 intrigues me a little. Because with all that he had, Moses still does not seem satisfied. And we find out why in verse number 3. We didn't read this earlier. But let's look at it now. He had just said in the verse before that in the promised land he's bringing them to, he's going to drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, Mosquito Bite. He's going to run them all out of this town and unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. That's where there's a problem. He said, I'm still going to give you all these, this, this wonderful land 
flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. He says, why? For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. God said that it was necessary for him to remove his presence, lest I consume thee in the way. The primary reason, of course, for God's absence was there that, that what had just happened. They had worshipped the golden calf, so idolatry. But the Bible says they were a stiff-necked people, which means they were habitually rebellious and likely to sin again. Their future sin would be worse with God in their midst than if he were at a distance. Now, there's a principle here. The greater our spiritual privilege, the greater the consequences when we fail. And we have great spiritual privilege here in America, don't we? The Bible says in Luke 12, 48, For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. But then he says not only that I'm not going, he gives a replacement for the loss here. I will send an angel before thee, verse 2. Instead of God's presence, an angel would be sent to go with them. Now, let's just say, it'd be kind of good to have an angel accompany you anywhere, wouldn't it? But not at the cost of God's presence. You see, when you're sacrificing God's presence for an angel, you're now settling for second best. And no one should ever settle for second best in the spiritual realm. The same is true in your life. Never live your life in such a way that anything comes in and replaces God in your life. We live in a day today where we have willingly replaced God with inferior devices, whether it be people, things, or even angels. Nothing replaces the blessing and privilege of His presence. So because this next part can get a little confusing, I brought some papers here uh, to just keep, our, keep us in line. Uh, those of you who are English teachers, this will drive you crazy. God was promising all kinds of presents. He said a land flowing with milk and honey. For over 400 years, Israelites didn't have a land. They were slaves in someone else's land. Now they'd have a land to call their own. Now, God says, I'm not only giving you a land, I'm going to give you a very good land, overflowing with many good things. Lots of presence in what God's giving them. But God said, I will not go up in the midst of thee. So you will have my presence, but you will not have my presence. Now, this is a big problem for Moses. And you, uh, it's a crying shame today that with all the presence that we have, all the things and all the stuff that we have, we would rather have them sometimes than we would want His presence in our life. But what is infinitely more important than presence is His presence. That's what we have to go after in our life. And Moses says, I would rather have your presence than those presents. In fact, he says, your presence don't mean anything to me without your presence. Confused yet? If you're listening online, you are utterly confused at this point. Look at what it says in verse 4. For when people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. Now, this is interesting to me. By the way, they were wise to mourn if God's presence is out of them. But here's what's interesting to me is that they were still going to get everything they wanted. They were still getting the land flowing with milk and honey. They would still be victorious over the inhabitants of the land, but the Bible says that news did not stop them from mourning. You can still have all the things in life that you desire, and if you, you can be short of the most important thing of all, and that is God's presence. And there is nothing that is worth sacrificing God's presence for. An angel was no compensation. Material blessings are no compensation either. The Israelites mourned even though they had their their material blessings were still intact. I wonder today, how many of us would mourn if we got everything we wanted and were lacking the presence? That's a convicting question, isn't it? 
because we're so much more obsessed over the things we want than the things we really need. This is the same message Jesus gave when he said in Mark 18, 36, or 8, 36, what doth it profit a man when he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? Israel may gain Canaan with all its richness and his powerful military, and be a powerful military country, but it is no consolation, my friend, for the loss of God's presence. And Moses knew this. In fact, Moses said here, if you're not going, I'm not going either. That's what Moses told God. Actually, I want to start <coughs> because this, this is hilarious if you read this in, in order here. So I want to start in the, in chronolo- chron- chron- in the direct order of Scripture here, all right? Uh, God said in verse 3, I am not going. So Moses then responds, you said you wanted me to bring the people up and take the land. Who's going to go with us then? You told me that I know you by name. You told me I find grace in your sight. You told me that we're your people. Now you're not going with us? That's verse 12 and 13. Now, this is hysterical. And anybody who reads the Bible and says it's not interesting, something's wrong, all right? Because this is fascinating. Look at what he does here. You ever been in a conversation and you are talking so fast and with so much passion that you don't even hear the response that's coming your way? Talking to you ladies. You don't hear the response that's coming back to you. That's what's happening here with Moses. Who he does? Uh, he says, God says, I'm not going. Moses said, you told me that I was your special pe- your man and we were your special people. Now you say you're not going? And then he says uh, in verse 14, God says, all right, I'll go with you. Doesn't even phase Moses though. Look what he does next. He says, if you're not going, I'm not going either. He says, how are people going to know that you are our God and we are your people? You made all these promises and now you're not going? Are we to be separated? I know why we are a great people. He said, I know why we're blessed. It's not because I'm talented. It's not because I have a great education. It is not because I'm a great leader. It is because of you, God. It is because of your presence with us. And now you're not going? That's verses 15 through 16 after God said, all right, I'll go. Moses is, he's, he's caught up here. He's, he's really stressed out because he says, I'm not going anywhere without you, God. What a great thing. By the way, this is a right attitude to have. Moses was consumed with a burning passion that I don't care if I get everything in the world, it'll mean nothing to me, Lord, if you're not with me. That is a great, great attitude. If there ever was a place that God would smile, I think it would have to be. How would you feel, sir, if your son came to you I don't care about the Xbox. I don't care if I have a car or not. I don't care if we're poor. I just want you, Dad. I just want to please you. I just want to uh, adore you. I don't care about any kind of things. I just want a relationship with you. How would that make you feel after they woke you up from your shock-induced coma? It'd feel pretty good, wouldn't it? And so it does for God as well, this type of attitude for his presence. So God says to Moses, Moses, <laughs> you can... It's not directly worded this way, but this is kind of the tenor of the text. Moses, calm down. I'm going with you, okay? I'm going with you. This should be enough, right? You'd think so. Moses is still not satisfied, so he presses further. He says, uh, basically, he's asking, you going with me? Yes. You really going with me? Yes. Then show me your glory. Moses pursued God in a way that we ought to every day of our life. Why was Moses called a friend of God? Not because God said, you know what? I'll throw a dart and whoever I hit is going to be my special friend. Not at all. Moses was a special friend of God because of Moses' character and his desire. We ought to have the same desire. So he says, show me your glory. Show, the, the word glory means abundance and riches. And so he said, 
uh, show me a richness of your abundant glory. He said, by the way, Moses was not satisfied with all the experiences that he had had. He still wants more. He wants more of God. He's saying, I'm hungry for you, God. I'm not satisfied with what I am now. I want to grow in my relationship with you. Listen, friends, if we desire growth in our Christian life, it'll always come from a dissatisfaction of our current state. It's all the way we're going to grow. So what did God do? He honored the request, kind of. Now, there's a kind of a side effect to the request of Moses. And God told him, if you see me, Moses, you're going to die. Because no one can see the glory of God, the full glory of God, and live. And so he says, I'll not show you my face, but here's what's going to happen. I've got a, there's a cleft in the rock here. I'm going to put you behind this rock. You're going to stand there. I'm going to come by, and as I come by, I'm going to put my hand over your face so you cannot see me. And then as I go by, I'll lift my hand, and you can see my back part. That's what your Bible says, which on the Lord is absolutely glorious. And so here is, a, it's an amazing thing. I want to show you something interesting here. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, by the way. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So here we see God tells Moses to get behind the rock that will shield him from God's glory. This rock limits Moses' view of the divine glory so that he will not be overwhelmed by it. It would kill him. This is a picture of Christ, the rock of Israel, the rock of ages, the rock of salvation. Those that stand upon this rock are safe and secure. The brilliant rays of the glory of God are limited and concealed by the humanity of Christ. By faith we are hid in Him. We are protected from the effects of the glorious justice and wrath of God which otherwise would consume us, but we have our hope and our faith on our rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.4 And did all drink that same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. In the Old Testament, it was a crevice that one man could stand in. In the New Testament, we see Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible talks about the five piercings that are in His body. There were two in His hands, there were two in His feet, and there was one in His side. Uh, if you are weak, you can come in through His hands. If you are proud, you can humble yourself and come in through His feet. If you are uh, broken and destitute and need tenderness, you can come in through His side. He is the rock of our salvation. I love the song on Christ, the solid rock I stand. No other ground is, all other ground is sinking sand. We can say with Nebuchadnezzar after he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with Christ, there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. What a blessing that is. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah for the rock. Now, before we run out of time, let's circle around and kind of close the loop on the life of Moses here, the story of Moses, because the story of Moses doesn't end in the Old Testament. It, and uh, turn with me to Mark chapter 9, if you got your Bibles with me, I'm going to show you something here, because after all this, Moses never actually made it to the promised land. You do realize that in the Old Testament, remember? He was told he couldn't go in the promised land, and so he, uh, he died before he went in. He saw it from a distance, but he could not go in. Mark chapter 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John and leadeth them up to a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Remember, God and Moses have been friends. Moses has now been spending eternity with God since he has passed away. 
And I don't know how this conversation takes place because the Bible doesn't tell us, but evidently in some manner or some form, God approached Moses in heaven and said, Hey, Moses, do you remember when you asked to see my glory? Do you remember how it was all connected to going into the promised land? Well, now, Moses, you've got your chance. And so there is Jesus on Mount Tabor in the promised land, fully transfigured in the glory of God. Moses finally gets his chance to go to the promised land. Not only does he do that, he does so in full view of the full glory of the Son of God. Moses is on one side. Elijah is on the other side. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. Jesus represents the center and fulfillment of it all. He is our rock and our Savior. He gets to have a conversation with the rock that he stood in that represented him so many years ago. Pretty neat, isn't it? It's amazing. What a wonderful thought. One day, we're going to behold him in his glory as well. Psalm 84.10, the Bible says, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. A doorkeeper is not a high position in life. But the lowest position in God's service, my friend, is better than the highest position the world can offer. And I hope this verse rings true in your heart. Have you given up the pursuit of worldly recognition that interferes with the ability to dwell in God's presence? Have you rejected all your love of anything wicked or sinful so that you might love God with a whole and pure heart? Have we refused to settle for second best? We're to love God, my friend, not for what He can do for us. We're to love God and desire His presence for who He is. In Genesis 16, 13, He is El Roi, the God who sees us. In Genesis 17, 1, He is El Shaddai, the Almighty God. In Genesis 21, 33, He is Jehovah Olam, the Everlasting God. In Genesis 22, 14, He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. In Genesis 27, Sorry, Exodus 17.15, He is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. In Judges 6.24, He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. In 1 Kings 2.26, He is Adonai, the Lord our God. In Psalm 57.2, He is El Elyon, the God most high. In Jeremiah 30.17, He is Rapha, the God who heals. We are to desire God not because of, of what He can do for us, but of who He is in our life. He is the compassionate one, the mighty, the most high king and creator. He is the one who is always and forever good. And yet with all that glory, with all that might, and with all that honor, He loved you and you and you and me enough so that the Bible says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's collectively, that's everybody, that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, that's individually, that's you and you and me. That's each one of us. He loved us so much that He gave His Son to die for us. That's unbelievable. The most important decision you'll ever make in your life is what you do with His Son. Not how much money we make. Not how much stuff we have. Hey, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Uh, he that hath the Son hath life and life everlasting. It, let us be less concerned with presents. Nothing wrong with presents. I like presents. Amen? I like toys. I have a few. That's a good thing. I don't, nothing wrong with presence, but we better not desire them above His presence. His presence overrules all the presence in the whole world that the world can offer. Let me ask you a question today. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied? I make this, uh, this quote often and it's so true. 
You are as close to God right now as you want to. The Bible says, draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. It's not up to him, it's up to us. You're as close as you want to be. So I ask you again, are you satisfied with your relationship with God right now? He has given you so much. All of us, we are so blessed. We have so much of this presence. And yet I ask if you, like Moses did, have a burning desire for his presence. That's what makes a difference in your life. There's no way to battle loneliness and depression than what it says in Hebrews 13.5, where he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What about when we get in trouble? Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. I like that word present, all right? He's with us in trouble. What about when we're sad? <coughs> Psalm 16.11, thou wilt show me the path of life. Thy presence is fullness of joy. When we get stressed out, he can tell us like he did Moses in Exodus 33:14, My presence shall go with thee and I will give you rest. His presence is the key, victorious Christian living. But do we desire it? Do we admit? One of the saddest verses in the Old Testament is Samson. <coughs> I want to go into a whole other story, but Samson, strongest man in the Bible. Uh, he was uh, extremely crazy, superhuman strong. God had made him that way. <coughs> and he met a del woman named Delilah. And the strength was not in his hair, it was in the Lord, but the Lord had attached certain things because he was a Nazarite, never supposed to cut his hair. So he told Delilah that if you cut my hair, I'll be normal like any other man. And uh, long story, I'm just skipping the high parts, but Delilah does, calls in people and he cut his hair while he's sleeping and, and he wakes up. And if you, by the way, if you're in your 40s and you've never ever let a razor touch your head ever and now you get your head shaved, I think you'd notice. So let's just assume he knew his hair was gone and it says that he said, I'll get up and defeat the Philistines as I did aforetime, not knowing that God had departed. And that's a sad thought. How many people were walking through the steps? We go to church. We pray it before meals. We do the things we're supposed to do, not even knowing that God's departed. We better crave his presence. If we want to do anything great for God, or we want to count for God in this life, we had better crave his presence as Moses did. Dear friend, uh, understand today that Christian victory is available through His presence. Here's the thing, though. He does not force Himself. The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He said, If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And there He stands, knocking. Dear friend, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I am not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about baptism. I'm not talking about good deeds. I'm talking about a personal relationship. That's religion, by the way. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship. If you never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, He's there. He's knocking. He'd love to come in. He'd love to begin that relationship with you, but He's not going to force Himself. And then for you, Christian, what is your consuming desire today? Like Moses, we ought to understand and, and have that passion to know that it doesn't matter if we gain everything in this world if we lose him. It's not worth it. Not worth it. What shall it gain a man? He gained the whole world and lose his own soul. You, you understand, friend, that when God looks at you, and, and this is so great for knowing how much he values us, when he looks at you, he takes all the wealth of the world and puts it on one pile. We're talking about all the diamonds from the diamond mines, all the gold and all the money and all the currencies of all the governments of all the world, all in one pile. It's, it's going to be a big pile is what I'm saying, okay? It's a big pile. And then he puts you on the other side. He says, when it comes to value, you're more valuable than them. That's wonderful. Because some people, they feel like there's no value in them. They feel like they really don't matter. In God's eyes, you do. 
You're greater than any, anything else the world can offer. We ought to look at his presence the same way. It's more valuable to me than anything else. And here's a good thing, friend, is there, take advantage of it. He wants to be there with you. Draw an eye to me. Draw an eye to you. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. We talked about a lot this morning, but the key component of our message today is how much do you value God's presence in your life? Do you value things? Do you value his presence? We'll just leave it there as she begins to play and you stay.